Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at ChicagoReader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Ben, come on, we're late. I'm sick of every year. We give power to one person. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it being late. I'm sick of it. (laughs) Oh, boast. What a character, ladies and gentlemen. You elected him. You elected him, Republicans. All right, let's get today's show on the move here. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, March 5th. is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. I'm sick of it. The Chicago Federation of Labor sponsors. I'm sick of it. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for the latest in what's going on in Chicago, what to do, what to watch, what to wear, where to go. All these questions will be answered if you go to chicagoreader.com. Subscribe, check out the latest column from Ben Jarofsky. Buy Ben Jarofsky's book, The Greatest Hits. He's pointing to the book, but Ben, no one can see it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) No one can see it. Uh, But yes, it's Ben Jarofsky's book, The Greatest Hits, covering 40 years of Ben Jarofsky's career at the Chicago Reader. My God, the longest I've had a job, seven years. 40. Holy cow. You must be doing something right. ChicagoReader.com. Become a binhead. Subscribe. Uh, uh, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky for more information. All right. You have a song of the day. And Frank, you know what, man? You're awesome. We really do appreciate you, Frank. A uh, longtime devotee of the program. Oh, a former guest of the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, I guess he had to go to a funeral today, but he made sure to leave us a song of the day before he went to the funeral. Oh, man. <laughs> My condolences My to condol- uh, whoever ever passed on no kidding but uh dude you're thinking about us still and that's awesome uh your song of the day is stop in the name of love from diana ross well, uh, well it's uh, the supremes one of my favorite songs frank great great song stop in the name of love before you break. and then it had this riff at the end that I, when i was a kid d i just love it goes stop baby think it over and then they flipped it think it over baby and when i was 10 i was like oh my god that's so brilliant baby think it over think it over baby they flip baby they're geniuses when will i ever be that smart and the answer is never <laughs> wait when you were a kid what year did that song come out 
Uh, that song came early nineteen hundreds. That song came out. <laughs> wait, what? Eighteen seventy six. That song came out about nineteen sixty six. I want to say yes, nineteen around there, or maybe sixty five. I don't know. But I was a little. Just imagine little Benny Jarofsky listening to that song, going. Think it over, baby, baby, think, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then running to tell my friends. They say, baby, think it over, and then they say, think it over, baby. And the friends are like, God, this guy is weird. Over 40 years, people, my God. (laughs) He's old. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Friday, March 5th, and live from my apartment and his attic, he loves that water. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Okay, please no air base during the intro. Today on the program, it's the Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Dr. Seuss Friday. And here's why. Well, I think you all all know why. Uh, Dr. Seuss has become a martyr for MAGA. A MAGA martyr. Hey, I am. I am. Oh, if only he were alive to draw this story. All right. Here's what's going on. Dr. Seuss is, of course, the great children's author and illustrator. He died in the 1990s. His wife died a few years ago. They had no children. His estate is of is controlled by a foundation filled with people who are much like Dr. Seuss and his late wife. And that would be liberals. Yes, Dr. Seuss was a liberal. He was not MAGA. Okay, he died before a MAGA officially became a thing, but MAGA was an embryonic thing back then. And I can assure you that based on all the evidence, Dr. Seuss, a man who supported Planned Parenthood and the ACLU and liberal politicians and environmental stands would not repeat, not be MAGA. Unless they stole his brain and transformed it at an evil MAGA ceremony. That'd be a great zombie movie. (laughs) Turning Dr. Seuss into a mago. <laughs> oh, he, he got his breakfast this morning, guys. You hear those sound effects? <laughs> top notch. Hey, B-E-Z, let's see you top those sound effects, okay? Huh? Huh, B-E-Z? Come on, huh? Let's see you top those. Right now at Navy Pier, they're sitting around a table going, we really must improve our sound effects to compete with the Ben Jarofsky show. Did you hear his sound effects of MAGA turning Dr. Seuss into a MAGA creature? It was brilliant. Be easy. Please don't throw away my resume. It's there in that pile somewhere. It's in that pile yeah. somewhere, please. In the, in the bottom of the pile, Mark, people who don't have clout. That's where your resume is. Anyway, where was I? Oh, Yes. The board that controls the estate has decided that they don't want to continue publishing a handful of his books on the ground that there are illustrations that are insensitive to black people and Asian Americans, that these caricatures are offensive. It's probably a position that Dr. Seuss himself would take if he were alive, since he had an open mind and was not afraid to change it. For instance, you may not realize this, but Dr. Seuss 
was a cartoonist in the 1940s, and as such, he supported the internment of Japanese Americans. That's, that's right. He drew some vicious and offensive cartoons on that very subject, which he later apologized for because his mind was not made of stone, and he recognized that people can be blind to the hurts that they cause, and there's no nothing weak or wrong about admitting that you are wrong, something that MAGA will never, ever understand. I mean, just... Can you imagine Donald Trump, leader of MAGA, apologizing for anything ever? Actually, I know some Chicago politicians who suffer from the same affliction. Uh, a certain mayor <laughs> who will never admit she's wrong. Ever, ever, ever. Anyway. So the group that controls Dr. Seuss's books say they won't publish four of the books, but they'll continue to publish all the rest, including Green Eggs and Ham and Cat in the Hat and all the books that you love. But MAGA's outraged. Cancel culture, they call it. They're always playing the cancel culture card because it's the only card they've really got. When in reality, the biggest canceler of culture is MAGA itself. Just ask the man that Dennis finally calls AK-16, Adam Kinzinger. Ask Mitt Romney. Ask Liz Cheney. Ask any Republican who dared to vote against Donnie Trump. They're being canceled as we speak by MAGA. Anyway, as part of their protest, MAGA is, follow me on this, folks, buying up Dr. Seuss's books. Dr. Seuss's books are going through the roof. Another great sound effect. Man, he's like, good. Damn, this guy's good. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're saying right now. That's exactly what they're saying. They're having a staff meeting. Uh, got to do something about these sound effects. The Ben Jarowski podcast. They got the best sound effects. Yeah, we got like 300 people working at this radio station. Why can't we come up with sound effects like the going through the roof? Let's hear it one more time. Anyway, so Meg is by seriously. My Mag resume is in that pile. Don't throw it away. <laughs> Call me up. We'll talk. Be easy. Be easy. Oh, this is interesting. This young man is from Alton. <laughs> Sorry, not hiring him. Anyway, where was I? Oh yes. Uh, Maga is buying up the Dr. Seuss books in protest, not realizing that the money goes to a foundation that canceled the books. So their buy up the books and protest is actually rewarding the people they want to punish. No one said MAGA was smart. Just diabolically evil. Meanwhile, MAGA's also opposing the stimulus bill. They're opposing the hike in the minimum wage. Senator Ron Johnson. Yes, cheeseheads, your senator made the clerk of the Senate read the full text of the bill, anything to delay it, anything to try to slow it down and keep the Senate from passing legislation that would help ordinary citizens who are desperate for help. So to distract MAGA, some of the MAGA supporters who might need that relief from the fact that the people they support are denying the relief that they need they ignite a culture war over the canceling of Dr. Seuss. Like I said, no one is accusing MAGA of being smart, just evil. Diabolically so. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramon evil. and the Sable Beer. <laughs> oh my God. 
not an evil bone in Ramada's body. She'll be here. We're talking all the news of the day. All the issues of the day. Yeah, we'll do a little Dr. Seuss talk with uh, Ramada, see what she says about that. And uh, a little near a tandem uh, talk with her. But before we get to that, the young man from Alton, the man that Dr. Seuss loved to call Dr. D. <laughs> they would get together, have lunch together, the two doctors mm-hmm. back in the day. We talked doctor stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how's your back doing, doctor? That's coming okay. Uh, how are those horse pills? Really working out well. The man from- <laughs> Horse pills? <laughs> I think you were like seven when Dr. Seuss died. Can you imagine little Dr. D and Dr. Seuss? I, uh, I remember I like- it. I remember when Dr. Seuss died. I was a kid. I was like in second grade. I was so sad. It was a sad day. I love Dr. Seuss. It's like the only books my dumb ass liked to read. <laughs> in fact, just the other day I saw you were reading Green, Egg, Green Eggs with that. Hold on, bad. Can't talk. Coming to the end. My favorite part. I am. I am. I am, said Sam. <laughs> anyway, the man <laughs> that Dr. Seuss proudly called Dr. D with the news. What's going on, everybody? I'm Dennis. By the way, hey, Frank is back on the live stream chat. What's going on, Frank? Frank says this whole Dr. Seuss thing is fucking stupid. Uh, hey, Frank, come on. Clean it up. Right. Can, can, can. <laughs> a, lot of cur- a lot of cursing going on on the Ben Jarofsky show these days. All right. We need to have a meeting about this. My goodness. <laughs> we, uh, Dennis and I were having a conversation about this as part of the pre-show planning. D, should I open up our inner secrets to the world? Do you think or should I just bust that wall, baby? Know. All right. <laughs> lot of swearing going on the Bendrowski show. I want to address this with my guest, my distinguished guest. A lot of F-bombs being dropped on the Bendrowski show lately. It's come to our attention. Okay, here. Uh, it, I am now, by the way, I don't know if you know this, D. I have uh, got promoted. I didn't tell you this. Oh. I am in, I, yeah, I am in charge of the HR department at the Ben Jarofsky Show. Did you know that? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both H and R? Both of them? Not just H. Yep. Yeah. I handle H and I handle R. Whoa. And uh, it's come to my attention that a lot of our guests are dropping the F-bomb. Mm-hmm. Like wicked ones. <laughs> Yesterday, classic example, Dave Gloatz, who's one of the nicest, mildest, uh, most gentle human beings I know, who, of course, is our uh, city council uh, expert, did a great job yesterday, if I may say so, uh, breaking down what happened at the city council meeting last week. I urge everybody, if they haven't heard it, to check it out. Drop the F-bomb. Yes, Dave Glowatz. Drop the F-bomb. And I didn't even I didn't even realize at the time, Dave, I've gotten so used to people yeah, dropping the I F-bomb. I know. On this You've show. been saying it left and right. And the thing is, is that uh, Dennis, one of his many duties as producer of the Ben Jarowski show is to prepare an excerpt that goes on radio stations. And so it's becoming, in the old days when we first started, it was, you know, just, oh, I like this interview. I'll kick it in. But now it's becoming... Harder and harder for him to do that job because you got to excise all the f bombs yeah. because radio. Well, for those still does not... for those who didn't know, we uh, yeah our show we put it up on one hundred five point five FM uh, Lumpen Radio L U M P E N Lumpen Radio and uh, I think it's in Bridgeport. Um, and yeah, every week I got to you know find some interviews that's uh, you know radio worthy. I was it's getting a lot harder. <laughs> I've noticed uh, just. <laughs> 
putting old Dennis to work. I can't even hear it anymore. Uh, but I'm telling you, we're get, we're getting we're gonna have that moment. Adolfo Mondragon uh, and David Weiss will be on this show at the same time, <laughs> and we'll see who drops the f bomb first. It'll be a contest. Uh, so anyway, yes, as the head of HR, I'm gonna have I'm gonna be looking into this. D, I'm gonna be talk. Don't worry, I'll be talking to the guests about this. Um, I think I'm gonna send out a memo. All right, a memo is coming up. Yeah, please send that memo. I mean, actually, I don't care. You know, I, I, I eventually find one uh, throughout the week where no one curses like a sailor. Mick Dumpke was available. Our uh, interview with Mick Dumpke. Get a bonus sneak peek. Uh, Mick Dumpke, the only guest this week that didn't curse like crazy. <laughs> I don't tell Lumpen Radio that, by the way. Yeah, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, who is uh, really, again, a total, just a real gentle soul. I think she dropped a few F-bombs when she was on the show, didn't she, D? Yeah. Uh, there's something about our show that just brings out the F-bombs in people. Oh, shout out to Kyle on the live stream chat before we get going. He uh, sent a little uh, Dr. Seuss-esque uh, little rhyme here. <clears throat> Kyle on the live stream chat says... I'm not a Dr. Seuss. I'm not a doctor in a caboose. Stop calling me Dr. Seuss. Gentle reminder, all I do is produce. That was from it. That is really good. Dee, could you send him a, a check for like $100 or something like that? Uh, just take it out of the petty cash fund, okay? That was really good, Kyle. You could be the next Dr. Seuss. It's great. That is really good. All I do is produce. Why didn't I think of that? Damn. Damn. All right. Shout out to the hardworking journalist at the Chicago Sun-Times. They sat down and had a chat with Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson. They asked her 13 questions after week one of CPS's school reopening plan. We're going to see how many of these questions uh, we can get through here on the program. And today, our host, Ben Jarofsky, will play CPS CEO for the day. <laughs> Let's really underline the day because that's about how long he'd last in that job. But he's going to play CPS CEO for the day. Now, listeners, you can't see this, but Ben is wearing a jacket and tie at the moment. He's really getting into this bit. You look great, Ben. I mean, it's pretend. It's only for the day and it's not even real, but I'm glad you dressed up for the bit. Uh, CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky coming up. But first, we need to talk about this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Available at ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a brand new interview for you to check out. Well, one of them I played on Lumpin' Radio today. But like I said, you know, he's the one guy I didn't curse. But hey, still new to a lot of people, all right? So let's run through this weekend's lineup. We begin with Saturday. The return of a, of a familiar friend on the program. He's a professor. He's an author. He's David Ferris. Ben, what are you talking with David Ferris about? It's after today's show, but give everybody yes, uh, what you plan. Uh, I, I have a feeling uh, that David Ferris uh, is going to go off on the Democratic senators uh, who are betraying the Democratic values and uh, keeping uh, Joe Biden from passing some of the legislation he, that so many Democrats, forget Democrats, that so many Americans need, like the minimum wage. Uh, I'm thinking of you, Joe Manchin. Uh, and the senator from Arizona. I got a feeling. I got a feeling that David Ferris is really going to want to talk about that. And he, you know, he predicted this. David Ferris at one point said, oh, my God, it's going to be 50-50 and Joe Manchin is 50-50 uh, in the Senate and Joe Manchin's going to be hugely important. No. 
So we'll be trying. I, I love to hear what Dave Ferris has to say about uh, Donald Trump, his speech at CPAC, and just the general uh, state of the Republican Party. I uh, haven't talked to him in a while, so I'm really looking forward to updating with David Ferris, the man who's always trying to get Democrats to stand up for their values and their beliefs and to fight for what they believe in, as opposed to, well, I think I'll cave in. Uh, I'm scared. Uh. Swing voters, Wisconsin. <laughs> so I'm lo- really looking forward to David Ferris. Was that an impression of anyone you know in particular? No, it's just my generic ah, okay. impersonation of a cowardly liberal. No, <laughs> 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 sound a little bit like Adolfo. Just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Adolfo, are you kidding? <laughs> I know, He's I know. The, the exact opposite. He's <laughs> like beep those mother beeps, but. Hey, you just oh, hey. you just said the F word. All right. Uh, so it's going to be David Ferris. And for those who uh, have seen a David Ferris interview and have been on the fence about maybe downloading it or playing it, well, he's low-key funny. That's the thing about David Ferris. He just throws in these little jokes real quick and continues. Uh, David Ferris, always a great guest. Uh, it's going to be available Saturday by 5 a.m. On to Sunday, oh, once again, return of familiar friends of the program. My God, these guys know so much about Illinois, so much, in fact, that we call them the Illinois political know-it-alls. It's Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky making their return. We recorded this interview after yesterday's program. Ben, tell people a little bit about it. A lot of talk about the future of the Democratic Party uh, in the aftermath of Robin Kelly's victory as chair in the fight to become chair over Michelle Harris. Lots of interesting. I don't want to give too much of it away, uh, but, you know, there's... Many Democratic uh, on-the-ground strategists, people who are like do operatives are doing the work, uh, uh, going door-to-door on behalf of the Democratic Party, are a little frustrated with uh, some of J.B. Pritzker's uh, political operatives. They love J.B., but they don't think his political operatives understand Illinois. So we get into that. We get into that discussion. Does J.B. have the best political strategists around him, looking out for his interests? We get into that discussion. And then, I hate to say it, Danny Pogoshelsky, little disappointed, young Daniel. I gave him a softball trivia question, and he swung and missed. Wait, hold on. So, hold on. He told me to edit this out. Please don't mention this. Oh, oops. Uh, let's just edit out what I just said. Okay. <laughs> Dennis and the edit outs. If you want to hear an example of not editing out, but it's hilarious, the David Weiss interview, the opening segment. But uh, since we're editing it out, go ahead and tell everybody what happened. Since we're editing it out. Yeah. Uh, I'll let it this part, part out. Yeah. And I'll let it this part out too. So, you know, no one's going to hear it. So just go ahead and say it. No, it's good. Okay. I'll say it. Yeah. So just, I'll just, I'll say it and I'll get edited out. And the only people here are the, uh, the live listeners. Anyway, I asked Danny Pogoshelsky the easiest question in the world. You know, who did, uh, who did Alan Dixon lose to? I can't believe he didn't know that. I know my listeners right now are gas shocked. That's the sound effect of someone being shocked. He, <laughs> <laughs> that one needs a little work. <laughs> yeah, the guys at BZ are like, oh, yeah, we don't have to worry about that one. They were on the phone. They were about to dial the last number. Then they heard that one. Ah, oh, boy, never mind. Yeah, never mind. Uh, there goes Dennis's resume. Uh, into Lake Michigan. They op- what they do, D, is they open up that window that uh, Navy Pier that overlooks the lake. Oh, this is that hippie guy that works for the, the freak. Here, out the window. Anyway, um, 
Danny P, he makes up for it, though, with uh, I think he threw a couple of good uh, trivia questions at me. But anyway, wide ranging uh, interview and discussion on the future of the Democratic Party in the state of Illinois in the aftermath of Robin Kelly's victory as chair of the party. So that will be Sunday. The return of the Illinois political know-it-all is available by 5 a.m. And finally, well, it's a McDumpkey Monday. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Guys, this is a total geek out. I cannot urge you enough to listen to this interview. I know you go, oh, Ben, you're promoting your own interview. I know. Well, hell, no one else is going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) My dear friend McDumpkey and I are political geeks. I pretty much, I can't think of anyone who's as obsessed with politics as much as I am. Mick Dunkey is right there, right there with me. Well, Jacob Kaplan, I got to say, he's right there too. Uh, and Ferris, uh, that I think about it. Uh, you know, there's a few of them out there. Um, but uh, Mick Dunkey and I take the deep dive. He, he wrote a brilliant article. I urge everybody to read it in the latest ProPublica, an investigation of, into the uh, murder, the unsolved murder of an alderman, Ben Lewis, 1963. It involves, it's a story, it's a very complicated, well, it's not complicated, but it's it's a, a fascinating story about, uh, uh, there's a whole array of characters in it, that's why I said complicated, about the mob, about the emergence of black politics on the West Side, about the resistance white politicians had to the emergence of uh, black uh, politics, about the connection between the police and mobsters, between the daily machine and mobsters gangsters and gamblers and politicians in Chicago. It's the exact history of Chicago that they don't want you to know because they want you to be stupid so they can manipulate you. And Mick Dumkey put it out there, ProPublica, and then we took it apart. Who murdered Ben Lewis? And why did it remain unsolved? Whose identity, who was being protected by this diabolical act? You know, I've been thinking so much about this, D, the murder of Ben Lewis, the murder of Fred Hampton. It's all this stuff happened uh, during the daily years. Richard J. Daly, who's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. The powers of B just said, oh, great mayor. We love this guy. Something to think about. Voters out there. It's a new generation of powers that be, but they love their mayors. So I'm just saying, just throwing that out there, you know, just think about it. Like they need your reaction. The power elite has in this city. Like, you don't want to have too much of a conversation about this because it's uncomfortable. Uh, but uh, Mick Dumkey and I take the deep dive. Mick is brilliant. Great job, Mick Dumkey, on uh, the article and a lot of fun, that discussion. So I urge everybody to check out uh, the conversation I have with Mick Dumkey about Alderman Ben Lewis, the murder of Alderman Ben Lewis. It's this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews, Saturday, David Ferris, Sunday, the political know-it-alls and Monday, Mick Dumpke available at chicagoreader.com by 5 a.m. Go download them, subscribe, give us a review, five stars only. That'd be great. Okay, let's move on. Local news. Let's do it. We begin in Illinois and we begin with Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Springtime. Love it. Yeah, spring is indeed in the air, Governor. And J.B. Pritzker is kicking off the soon-to-be spring season with a brand-new awareness campaign. He loves awareness campaigns, everybody. Today, the governor was at the Family Christian Health Center in Chicago at 11 a.m. to talk about it. Ben, I have the audio. Like to hear it? Here it go. 
While it's everyone's choice whether to get vaccinated, we need to be sure that those who are uncertain have all the facts because these vaccines save lives. That's why today I'm announcing a new $10 million public awareness campaign, especially focused on our communities hit hardest by COVID-19 to share information with Illinois residents who are still considering whether they're going to get vaccinated. This campaign builds on Illinois' existing messaging, which has used data to inform how to get outcomes that emphasize equity. This new campaign uses real-time data to direct messages to the communities that could benefit from hearing those messages. Vaccine hesitancy is real, and misinformation, especially on social media, is rampant. In our ads, which are already on air, you'll hear directly from public health experts about the safety and effectiveness of those who get vaccinated, of the vaccinations themselves. And you'll hear from people like Dr. Ngazi Azike. You'll also hear from everyday Illinoisans who have struggled with COVID-19 themselves. A little bit of what J.B. Pritzker was talking about this morning. Yeah, you know, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this because I have a few friends, that I'm not going to name them, who've told me they're not going to get the vaccine because they don't trust it. Uh, and I'm like, wow. So I'm, I've been thinking about this. Like, what's the best way to get someone who, for whatever reason, does not believe he or she needs uh, uh, trust the vaccine to trust the vaccine? And so is it a doctor, like a Dr. Zike, a Dr. Fauci type? You know what I'm saying, D? Is that the best way to do it? Is it a celebrity? Do you get, uh, like, I don't know, who, who's a popular, really popular right now in America? Can't think of us. Uh, all I can think of is Oprah for some reason. And she's not really popular. What do I show my age? I'm trying to think of a popular millennial celebrity. And I can't think of any. I say Toby uh, Keith. Let's, you know, Toby Keith, country singer, Toby Keith. Hi, everybody. Hi, right. everybody. Toby Put a, get a vaccine, man. Come on. Yeah. Would that work with some guy who's resist, resisting a, a vaccine? Go, oh, Toby Keith said to get one. I'm going to get one. I mean, that's your best shot. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. Like. Lori Lightfoot's gotten one. J.B. Pritzker's got. I don't think anybody was really moved by that. So I don't know. Do you scare people getting into vaccines? Is that the way you do it? Like J.B. seems to be suggesting the way to do it is to scare them, to have horror stories. I don't know if that works. You know, I got to tell you, the flu shot. I know some people, they will remain anonymous. I'm not going to embarrass them. Will not get a flu shot. I'm like, why don't you get a flu shot? I don't like needles. I don't want a needle in my arm. I I think that the flu is probably not as bad as having to deal with the shot. That's what they tell me. So I don't know if the scare tactics work. I don't know, maybe celebrities. I don't pay people to do it. I don't know. A man in America will turn down $10 for the vaccine. There you go. I just figured it out. In fact, I told you this story once before. Donald John Trump. That, what was it? Spy Magazine in the 1980s had this little game, this little scam they were playing uh, <laughs> where they would send checks for one cent to celebrities. Uh, and they would write a little, the letter would say, you know, dear, uh, one celebrity they sent was dear Donald Trump. Dear Mr. Trump, uh, we've discovered that uh, inadvertently we overcharged you by one cent. So here's our check for one cent. Apologize for overcharging you. This to see who would cash it. Guess who cashed it? Donald Trump. So I think that the fastest way to get people uh, to take the vaccine D is to pay him to take to get the vaccine. There I go. I figured it out.
And you know what really irritates me? They're having a hard time getting the pe- people to take the vaccine. I want the freaking vaccine. Well, another mixed message. Oh, that's suit and tie. That suit, that ja- jacket and tie is getting to your head. You're solving all Illinois problems now. Vaccine rollout is getting a boost today. Oh, my today. goodness. President Biden spoke this afternoon. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Enough vaccines oh, will boy. be available for everyone. Uh, right, we will edit that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you all hear that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I know. I've been solving all the problems from my little attic overlooking the porta potty. Yep, the that's that's what I do. Solve problems, do great sound effects, <laughs> try to get you a job at WBEZ. I'm working on it. Okay, I can't I'm thank working. you enough for that. That's really nice here. All right. Anything else you'd like to say here uh, before we move forward here in the program? No. Other than remind, I, I just I have an appointment three weeks and counting for I get my first vaccine at the United Center. Me, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, B.J. Armstrong. You know, we're all going to be hanging None out. None of those people are going to be there. You know that, right? <laughs> I know. It's, I'm so excited. I'm going to the United Center, my beloved Bulls. And then I read the paper. It's in the parking lot. Huh? <laughs> I'm sure they. I'm sure they'll get that mascot out there with the face mask on. Oh, uh, Benny the Bull. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be out there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, in my mind, it's me and Michael Jordan are going to get the shot. Yeah, we're going to hang out. Me and MJ are going to hang out. D. We're going to eat pizza and have fun. Watch old Bulls games. So if you can come too. I'll let you come. Okay, that's once again not going to happen when you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's Friday. Yes, Ben. I'm. I'm doing it now. Okay. Stop making the signals. My God, I'm doing it now. It's Friday. That means it's time to talk the week that was in Illinois weather. <sighs> yeah, guys. From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute, this is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. It's time for the most boring segment we've ever had on this yes. show. It's time for our weekly weather report from Illinois climatologist Trent Ford. Ben loves this segment. I thought he was crazy. Like, why on earth would you like this segment? But Ben, I've learned this week, not only do you like it, our live stream chat absolutely loves this weather segment with Trent Ford. What's going on, guys? I don't get it. What's what's the big deal about this segment, Ben? Please tell us. Well, first of all, I can understand why they love it, because we're all astute students of climatology, and no one is as brilliant and insightful when it comes to climatology as Trent Ford. I particularly love, and I think many of our listeners do as well, Dean, when he talks about precipitation. So I'm hoping that there'll be more, <laughs> there'll be some up, updates on precipitation, right? Isn't that what we got ahead? Precipitation. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I find it very boring, but we're going to play the segment. Here we go. I'm going to throw a load of laundry in while we do this. Trent Ford, take it away. From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute, this is Illinois State climatologist Trent Ford. Oh my God, you're boring. Looks like it's a lamb for the start of March. Average temperatures this past week range from the high 30s in northern Illinois to the high 40s in southern Illinois, between 1 and 8 degrees above normal for this time of the year. So it's quite a dramatic change from most of February. While the preliminary statewide average February temperature was 20 degrees, about 11 degrees below the 1991 to 2020 average. The official February statistics will be released next week, but it is likely last month was among the top 10 coldest on record in Illinois. Last month's extreme cold also pushed the preliminary winter season average temperature to about one degree below the 1991 to 2020 average. Hey, what's going on? I'm back. Sorry, Trip for that was extremely boring. I did a load of laundry. What'd I miss? 
oh my God, you missed this. And that the average, the last cold snap, follow me on this, follow me on this, dropped the average in Illinois to below the old record low, which was in 1991. You missed that. And then he started talking about the butter cow. You missed that. A lot of good stuff on Trent Ford this week. He did not talk about the butter cow. (laughs) But actually, Dennis did uh, smash in the fourth wall. He did leave. I don't know where he went. He like, where'd he go? What's it doing? Load a load. You put a load in, pal. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's move on here from the current governor to the former. Yes. Former Illinois governor, Republican Bruce Rauner uh, made the headlines in 2021. And what the hell? Let's talk about it. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and one Bill Ruthert. Hmm. I've never heard of Bill before. Welcome to the Chicago Tribune if you're new, Bill. Uh, it says here, former Republican Governor Bruce Rauner made a $250,000 campaign contribution to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis last week after seniors in the uber-wealthy Florida Keys enclave where Rauner owns a home were among the first in the state to receive COVID-19 vaccinations in January. Rauner's connection to the favorable treatment first was reported Wednesday by the Miami Herald, which obtained a memo the management of the exclusive Ocean Reef Club in Key Largo sent to residents, noting that its medical center had vaccinations for residents age 65 and over, while most uh, Floridians struggle to access the shots. DeSantis has used the state's vaccination program to open special distribution sites in select communities while skipping state and local vaccine registration logs. Various Florida news outlets have reported. I got to say, I miss Bruce Rauner. I'm so glad he's back in the news here in Illinois in 2021. Bruce Rauner, truly one of the most uh, despicable elected officials in the state of Illinois in the history, at least in my lifetime. I, if anybody can think of anybody who was worse than Bruce Rauner, feel free to send me uh, the suggestion. And Yay yeah. for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! <laughs> oh, my God. This is the man, ladies and gentlemen, who despised unions so much that he was willing to destroy the state of Illinois in an attempt to force Democrats into passing anti-union legislation. No budgets. No money for uh, groups that desperately need it. No money for schools. Let's destroy, drive up the debt so his banker friends can make even more money lending uh, on interest loans uh, to the state of Illinois. That's Bruce Rauner. That's the man that the Chicago Tribune endorsed, not once, but twice. Just want to mention that. Uh, you know, I just, and it I just occurred to me, D, you know what Pritzker might, uh, do in terms of public service announcement to get people to take the vaccine. Highlight this story. Just follow me. I just thought of this as I listened to that, your recitation of the story. If you tell people that a gazillionaire like Bruce Rauner is willing to spend 250 grand as a thank you to getting pushed to the front of the line to take the vaccine, maybe people will say, hey, there must be something to getting this vaccine if rich guys are willing to spend so much money to get one. I think that's, you want to get MAGA to start getting the vaccine? That's the way to do it. To say, hey, MAGA, rich Magikians, is that what you call them? Magikians are paying $250,000 
to another Maggieian, Ron DeSantis, to get the vaccine. I just figured it out, D. That little brain of mine never stops working, okay? Processing material. That's how you do it, Governor Pritzker. And you know what? You don't have to give me credit. Just steal my ideas, run with it, run that commercial. Bruce Rauner paid $250,000 to Ron DeSantis for the vaccine. Hey, you know what? If all else fails, you know, you know what? You know what, Pritzker? You might want to consider Phyllis. Phyllis was very influential in the fair tax debate. Can you imagine a commercial with Felix? <laughs> Felix? Felix? <laughs> I think Phyllis might help you out there. Springfield politicians want the vaccine all for themselves. I think everyone should have the vaccine. I'm Phyllis. There you go, D. I just figured, man, this brain is just... Take that jacket and tie off now. My goodness. <laughs> well, uh, Bruce Rotter, I missed you, man. It's so good to have a sleazy Bruce Rotter story back. Remember when he paid 50 grand? Uh, what was it, Walter Payton? It's, they took his kid. Oh, thanks, Walter Payton. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right, leave the rounder impression to me, pal. All right, uh, and for those who uh, are new to the program, it's the audio drop that just won't die. Phyllis. Springfield politicians, they promise they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional amendment passes. But their measure lets them increase income taxes on every group of taxpayers, including retirees. I know I'm not allowed to shame voters, D. I know Mike is going to get mad at me and uh, Mindy Isire and all the other millennials who come on the show. But come on. Hey, Northwest Side uh, retirees, heck of a job on voting for uh, against the fair tax because of Phyllis. Now they're coming after your pensions. Heck of a job, voters. Sorry, D. No more voter shaming for the rest of the show. Go ahead. Thank you. All right. And uh, one more piece of statewide news. It was the story of the week. Robin Kelly was elected uh, one of uh, 800 of Mike Madigan's positions. (laughs) Robin Kelly was elected here. What was the I can't been there so many damn titles. I can't remember which one it is offhand. Which one was it again? It became chair of the Illinois Democratic. Yeah, that one chair of the Democratic party uh congresswoman robin kelly played phone tag this comes from illinois politico Uh, robin kelly played phone tag with governor jb pritzker uh who also congratulated her on twitter you know jb was for michelle harris but you know pritzker sucking it up and still talking with her thursday after she won the championship of the illinois democratic party Uh, and then uh robin kelly got down to business meeting with staff starting to form a transition team and learning for the first time that the party no longer has a Chicago office. Well, that's fascinating. Kelly also shared a virtual high five with Senator Dickie D. Dick Durbin, who mentored her for the party leadership position. Uh, we'll end it out with a quote here. Uh, Robin Kelly said, quote, I'm excited. The idea of making changes and making it a different type of organization that's transparent and active and has spirit. It's something I want to do. Well, you know, um, I think it's pretty up. First of all, let me deal with the J.P. Pritzker fallout. Some people are saying uh, J.P. Pritzker is vulnerable. 
this is a part of the conversation we had uh, with the political know-it-alls that he's vulnerable. The fact that uh, he could not get the Democrats of Illinois to uh, support the person that he wanted, Michelle Harris, the older woman of the eighth ward. Uh, he could not get them to support her shows that he's vulnerable. He's weak. He doesn't have full support. Uh, he couldn't get the fair tax passed. Uh, I like to think that this was a message that Democrats from outside of Chicago are sending Chicagoans. And that is we have to diversify, geographically diversify. And if you listen to this show, you know, this may be, this is one of our themes that Chicagoans are not that popular outside of Chicago, particularly downstate. And if the Democratic Party is going to build its base of support in areas outside of where it's already popular, then they got to think outside the box. And I'm just saying, a Chicago Alder woman is not exactly the best sell. Just hate to throw that out there, Chicago. I know most of my listeners are from Chicago, and they're very, you can't say anything bad about Chicago to a Chicagoan. I was just having this conversation with Romana. If you say something bad to a Chicagoan about Chicago, they immediately come back and defend it by saying, well, everybody does that, which is no defense at all. You know what I'm saying? It's like if somebody in Chicago does something stupid and you defend it by saying, well, everybody does something stupid. Well, how is that a defense? Like, how is that a defense? That's Chicago. So Chicagoans, I, don't get mad at me, Chicagoans. You know, I love you. I've lived among you since 1981. All right. This book. Ben Drasser's greatest hits is all about Chicagoans. Spent my life writing about you and talking to you and trying to understand you. So I'm just saying, guys, you're not that loved outside of Chicago. So maybe it's good to just mix it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying, D? That's all. Throw that out there. Our show, by the way, is immensely popular downstate, is it not? We got a few. <laughs> we got a few downstate listeners. Do we? Yeah, absolutely. My mom, um, my friend Alex, his mom listens. Uh, yeah, we got some downstaters. I think we have a live stream chatter who was uh, downstate. Triple J, I believe his name was. Love all you downstate listeners, particularly uh, Dennis's mom, Alex, I Alex's mom. And, you know, I, I, I try to provide the downstate, uh, you know, uh, content of the program. You know what I mean? When I talk about pork steak and... Yeah. And I want to apologize to all our downstate listeners uh, for making the mistake uh, in thinking that uh, Bruce Springsteen was more popular than Jimmy Buff Buffett. Dennis has corrected me on that point many yeah. times. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like that hippie Springsteen down there. <laughs> All right, let's end it out here with 13 core. Not going to do all 13 questions, but 13 questions with CPS CEO. Janice Jackson, but for about 10 minutes, we're going to pretend that it's CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky. That's right. All right. Shout out to Nadir Issa and the Chicago Sun-Times for uh, his hard work here. Uh, like I said, 13 questions with CPS CEO Janice Jackson. The Sun-Times sat down with Janice Jackson, asked her 13 questions a week after schools have reopened. Uh, with nearly a week in the books for Chicago Public Schools' long-awaited reopening, uh, Janice Jackson set for a one-on-one -on -one interview 
Uh, we have questions here. Ben, I'm just going to pose them to you. Uh, I'll read the question. We'll we'll see what CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky says, and then we'll read Janice Jackson's response. How about that? Okay. All right. All right. Here we, here we go. Shout out to the Sun-Times. Thank you very much. By the way, check out the Franz Spielman podcast if you want to. It's once a week. 13 questions with CPS CEO Janice Jackson and fictional CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> the first question, the Chicago Sun-Times asks, how was the first week of how? Oh, oh boy, I butchered that from the get go. How has the first week of reopening gone? Has it lived up to your expectations? Ben Jarofsky. CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky, what's your answer? Yes, it's lived up to my expectations. Most people didn't go. <laughs> I That was what I expected. You asked me, did it live up to my expectations? Yes. And many teachers are still afraid. You know, I'm afraid. I said this before. My dear friends, my best friends in the world on my bowling team came to my house a little after midnight on Tuesday. And we gathered on the front porch. We had our masks on. It was freezing cold. We talked about basketball and life for about an hour. And when it was all over, D, I was like, did I get the virus? <laughs> did I get the virus? Every day I wake up. Whew, no signs that I got the virus. And these are my best friends. And we're all wearing masks because it's cold out. So, yes, it lived up to my expectations. My expectations were, one, most people weren't going to show up. And, two, teachers are going to be afraid. And anybody who has to go into school is going to be afraid because we've been taught for the last year to be afraid of this virus. Now you're flipping the switch on us and say, don't be afraid. Come on. <laughs> I actually, I read this article in the New York Times. I couldn't believe it. This guy is some MAGA guy was so in favor of school. He was like, this study the science. And so he had like all these science, like they, whenever MAGA says study the science, I have to laugh. You know, like, oh, suddenly you're scientists. Huh? Anyway, so he was like, uh, I've just concluded that we don't even need to be six feet apart. It's safe to be like squeeze even more kids into the classroom. So yes, D, that's my answer. This is why I would never, ever, ever be made head of uh, CPS. I would say, yeah, I don't blame him for not showing up. I'm not sure I'd show up. I'm afraid of this thing. When my good friends come over, I put the mask on. I go, don't come closer. Too close. Until I get that vaccine. Heck of a job, by the way. Uh, of distributing the vaccine, America. Really great job. Thank you, Trump, for all the good work he did on this effort. He, he is anyway. no he is no Janice Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Maybe a Barbara Bird Bennett. All right, uh, let's uh, go to the... Oh, we got to read her answer. Janice Jackson said on the first week, I'm happy with the first <laughs> week. Of course, I'm excited that we're back. I think that the fact we're starting with a phased-in approach, a smaller group of students, is allowing for a successful transition for our principals. A lot of people are nervous about the return to school, implementing the protocols, and so I think it's easier when you come back with a smaller group of students to really get the rhythm. So I haven't heard major concerns. Every school opening you have to deal with logistically, uh, things here and there, but overall, it has met my expectations. Yeah, you know, Boy, her her answer was a lot more uh, precise and had like you know not no sound effects and uh, not not as nutty. <laughs> you know that's why she's running the schools, and I'm running my mouth in my <laughs> attic, overlooking the porta potty. Go ahead, D. By the way, we haven't got one in a while. Could you uh, provide us with a porta potty update? Uh, oh, hey, sure. Hold on one second. Yes, thank you. <laughs> hey. Get away! Whoa! Yeah. 
No reefer in the porta potty. Oh, reefer in the porta potty. Pot in the porta potty. God damn hoodlums oh, smoking reefer in the porta potty. <laughs> uh, edit that out, D, if you're going to send it to uh, any radio station. Oh, on to question number two. <laughs> Thanks for that update, by the way. Very welcome. The Sun Times asks As far as staffing goes, you said you feel uh-huh. the district is ready. There have been a lot of principals who, talking privately, they're saying they're worried about staffing. If a few teachers get sick, they don't really have a backup plan. What do you say to those principals about their concerns over the next few weeks? What say you, CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky? I'd say to those principals, I'm with you 100%. I'm concerned too. First of all, we've made, uh, we're constantly discrediting our teachers. We're constantly fighting their union uh, leaders. We're we're constantly trying to destroy their union. No wonder nobody wants to work in the city of Chicago. And we're constantly lowballing them in negotiations. And whenever they ask to hire anybody, like, like a nurse or something, they go, shut up and get back to the classroom. So I can understand why people wouldn't want to work in the city of Chicago when you compound it by their fear uh, over the uh, catching the virus. So I understand why principals are saying, um, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have enough teachers. I don't know if we're going to have enough staff. I, I would say I've been talking to Troy LaRavier. He's been saying this forever. D, I would last, I wouldn't even last a half an hour. Okay. You know, the ring. Uh Oh, Lori Lightfoot on the phone. I'm going to take your car. I'm going to take your bong and make you walk home. So that's my response. Yes. I totally relate to those principles because we've made life miserable for the people who work in the Chicago public schools. So why would any of them want to work here? Janice Jackson's response. (laughs) You know, we keep getting this question, and I don't think it's helpful in the aggregate, right? Because on the whole, we're ready to go. Now, obviously, there's schools that are outliers where we have concerns. And to your point, if a large number of teachers get sick, then yeah, we have to deal with that issue. But we have put those protocols in place. And I would say if you're in a position where you're having major concerns like that in a school, it would probably trigger some other kind of action. But for our part, I think the district has done a really good job matching the staff availability. Our principals are being extremely flexible at the ground level. You have some schools where maybe one first grade teacher is the remote teacher because they have an accommodation and the person who's in uh, person is now teaching all students that come. And so if I thought that we didn't have the staffing to reopen, we wouldn't be in this position. Obviously, they are going to always be outliers in one-on-one situations that we have to address. And I think the district has been doing a good job addressing those. (laughs) Once again, that well, one way more, that way more professional answer than the one you had. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could see why she got the job and I didn't. All right, guys, that was two questions. Eleven more to go. We probably won't get through all of them, but after we uh, talk with Romana and get the Romana rundown, we'll do a few more of those. CPS CEO Ben Jarovsky. <laughs> what do you think of this segment, Ben? I mean, you'd be horrible at the job, but I mean, what do you think of the segment? I love the segment. I love running the schools and uh i've decided that uh since i'm running schools i'm gonna speak like barack obama because i think it'd be really cool if barack obama was the ceo of the chicago public schools by the way did we talk about this already i cannot remember so we can edit this out if we've already talked about this 
<laughs> uh, Barack Obama's doing a podcast with your favorite uh, performer. Yeah, Bruce we talked we talked about that last week on the signs of premature dementia uh, crawling into brains, but uh, to Ben's brain. Uh, can we edit that out? Uh, let's just edit that out. <laughs> I think you and Monroe talked about it. <laughs> Did we? I think. I know, I know, I it came so. up last week, and I remember you said, "Man, I gotta check out that podcast." Oh yes, I did, but I still have not checked it out. Uh, but I, I, I will check it out. I'm gonna get to it, D. All right, gonna get to it. All right, everybody, that's our local news. Uh, remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's coming up Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts, you can send us an email. Benny J show at gmail.com. Jeff sent uh, an email. Jeff, I'm going to send you that song uh, shortly. Don't worry about it. And also uh, you can reach us online at Benny J show, B E N N Y the letter J show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky show. It's true. 708-658-4788. The number again, 708-658-4788. Ben, in fact, our good friend, Jim, reached out to us and he has more Chicago Bulls trivia. We'll try and do that at the end of the program too. How about okay, that? Okay. Let's hope I uh, do better with the Chicago Bulls trivia than I did with Chicago trivia. Remember oh my God. I, I didn't want to, I was trying not to bring that up. <laughs> I got one question right out of, was it 10? Yeah. I don't know how many. Yeah. Uh, Thursday, March 4th, the time when Ben Jarofsky <laughs> embarrassed us. <laughs> with that poor performance of Chicago trivia. You All know right. What? We should throw some of those questions at Romana. Okay. They're from the Sun Times, you know. Oh, let's, let's, yeah. Okay. Let's throw some of those Chicago trivia questions. See how well she knows Chicago trivia. All right. Oh my God, it was pretty embarrassing. Romana's <laughs> with us. She's going to join us after this break. It's the yeah. bin. It's the Ask bin. me if it's like a really deep, like old political question. I might not, but. It's really they're really dumb Chicago trivia questions, Romana, and uh, we'll take a break. Hey, we they may were, throw one or two in. They were great <laughs> trivia questions. We'll be right back, everybody. survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute. This is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Looks like it's a lamb for the start of March. Average temperatures this past week range from the high 30s in northern Illinois to the high 40s in southern Illinois, between 1 and 8 degrees above normal for this time of the year. So it's quite a dramatic change for most of February. While the preliminary statewide average February temperature was 20 degrees, about 11 degrees below the 1991 to 2020 average. The official February statistics will be released next week, but it is likely last month was among the top 10 coldest on record in Illinois. Last month's extreme cold also pushed the preliminary winter season average temperature to about 1 degree below the 1991-2020 average. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by SCIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. 
Every Friday, Ramana Hussein, editor columnist from the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, joins us for his delightful conversation. And uh, Ramana, we have so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about whether Andrew Cuomo is the sleaziest politician in America. We're going to talk about Neera Tandon, uh, who got caught up in Twitter storm. Should, should you tweet if you're not willing to stand by your tweets? Uh, we're going to talk about Chicagoans defending Chicago at all costs. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to give you a huge shout out. Huge shout out for recommending Minari and Train to Busan, which are two excellent flicks. I urge everybody to watch them. Even if you're not a zombie fan, movie fan, you should watch them. Uh, and uh, we'll get uh, other recommendations from you. But before we get to that, we need your opinion about uh, the brouhaha, the controversy breaking out over Dr. Seuss, cancel culture, right-wing MAGA people suddenly uh, discovering their love uh, for Dr. Seuss and his works. Um, the whole issue of Dr. Seuss, Neil Steinberg wrote about it, Mary Smeets wrote about it, now Romana, we need to hear you. What is your <laughs> thoughts uh, on this controversy? Go ahead. Um, now that I'm a lot older, I mean, I can say that I wasn't, you know, all you know, excited over Dr. Seuss books being, you know, pulled from the estate anymore, not being published anymore. So I'm not like a kid anymore. And I was actually thinking back to when I was a kid, I wasn't a huge fan of Cat in the Hat. I, I liked it, but I wasn't, it wasn't my favorite books. And I thought, I didn't really think the cat was that cute or charming. I remember thinking that, but I know Dr. Seuss is a beloved author um, and his estate decides to pull six of these books. And I actually had heard about um, the controversy a long time ago about the illustrations he had, particularly of black individuals and, and East Asian individuals. Like um, the East Asian picture was a very stereotypical um, picture of an East Asian person wearing a, I guess, a, con a conical type of hat and the eyes were really exaggerated, kind of like uh, Mickey Rooney had breakfast at Tiffany's um, and then the ones of like black people they were kind of in like a stereotypical like tribal type of um, outfit so I remember seeing the pictures a long time ago I, I think it's when people are just talking about when you look at older works and I don't think there's anything wrong with it I mean I watched movies that I loved in the 80s and um, you know John Hughes there's been a lot of discussions about his movies Even Molly Ringwald who started his movie she actually did a dissection of the movies and talked talked about why she thought they were you know wrong in many cases especially when it pertained to women and um, people of color but um, yeah so I think it's okay to go back and look at things and you know realize that you know certain works of arts can be problematic. It isn't like the library or these schools decided like, we're just going to get rid of these books. It's, it's a completely different thing when the estate is saying that, Hey, we realize um, that this was problematic and it wasn't considered problematic back then. And we're going to pull these uh, titles and they weren't like some of the bigger books that um, Dr. Seuss wrote. It wasn't the cat and hat green eggs and ham. Um, I think I recognized one of the titles of the six books, If I Ran a Zoo. I think I saw, I think I've seen um, that before, like in a kid's hand, but I never saw the other ones. So um, it's the actual estate doing this. And I read Neil Steinberg's column right before um, I came on your show today. And Neil was out that this is the estate thing, you know, also business realize that if they keep this in regulation, people might not read Dr. Seuss. And Dr. Seuss is a multi, multi-million dollar, um, you know, 
business still. His books still sell. He's still a very popular author. So they're they're probably, you know, Neil was saying they're making a smart business decision. You know, they're reading the room, as Neil said. And, the, you know, I, I never knew Republicans were such big fans of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I would never put I would never put two and two together. So it's kind of interesting to see Republicans start suddenly come to the defense of Dr. Seuss. I just never saw, you know, the connection there. But yeah, they're they're saying that, you know, this is cancel culture and but you know, you started thinking, but what if it was something, a book that someone wrote, a child a children's book about white privilege? I can tell you these Republicans will be crying out against the book if there was a children's book talking and pointing out about what exactly white privilege is. And there probably are books like that, but I can see, or if there was a book about um, a Muslim, you know, there's children's books uh, about Muslims celebrating Ramadan or, you know, doing, you know, quote unquote Muslim things. I'm sure if a Republican saw and knew that there was uh, those kind of books in, you know, their children's schools, they'd throw a fit about that. So it depends on what, and we've talked about this before, cancel culture, the people who are caught crying out against cancel culture are the people who've been canceling things for a long time. It's just that now that their culture is being questioned and people in their camp are being questioned and held accountable, they're all worried about it. Yeah, I uh, to the point you just made uh, about uh, canceling culture. By, um, by on behalf to protect Republicans and MAGA, one of our uh, my f- uh, favorite segments is once a year or so, the um, a representative of the American Library Association comes on this show and uh, talks about all the books that have been banned. Like they keep track of the books that have been banned the most in our country, and uh-huh. almost I would say in the top ten, eight at least eight are banned uh, by. S- what are you, the conservatives, MAGA, uh, fundamentalist types, because they're children's books that preach tolerance uh, for gays, teach uh, tolerance for trans, you know, talk about sexual identity and how we all should have an open mind uh, and do our best to welcome everybody into the the family of man, as they would say in the old days. And... um, so it's just amazing how tone deaf Republicans are, how tone deaf MAGA is. Whenever they see any evidence whatsoever that somebody is uh, trying to, I don't know, uh, remove a book from a library or from a curriculum because it's offensive to people of color, they're outraged about cancel culture. Me, but th- at the same time, they go right down to the boards of education and they intimidate like school librarians. Get that book out of So they're the biggest bunch of frauds. This is me speaking, not Ramona. The, MAGA is the biggest bunch <laughs> of frauds in America when it comes to their supposed belief in free expression. They only want free expression for themselves. They don't want it for anybody else. And they use the whole issue like a club to beat the hell out of liberals. And, you know, Ramada, what really irritates me about liberals, among many things, is how they fall for it. You know, yeah. you must have liberal friends who tell you, oh, you have to admit, like being woke is like, you know, you could be too woke. <laughs> Liberals, man, you always fall for this stuff. I don't. You got friends like that, Romana? Uh, well, I think I think some people are just performative wokeness. I don't like people who are performative woke people. You know, they all do it on social media, but they're not really in real life. Those are the woke people that annoy me. 
the overly woke people on social media who just want to show everybody how woke they are, but they are <laughs> woke. <laughs> woke. Uh, the concept of, all right, let me ask you this. Cause you, you raised uh, uh, an interesting point. For instance, uh, I don't know if you read, if they were still reading uh, Huckleberry Finn when you were in high school. Of course. Uh, okay. They were still reading it. All right. I don't know if they're still reading Huckleberry Finn at yeah. all. It's been uh, a while. I've been in high school, so. <laughs> it's been way longer since I was there. So, uh, of course, Huckleberry Finn is a very controversial book to teach. It's filled with the N-word. Uh, it just, like, pops out on almost every page. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've heard a lot of people struggle with this. Mm -hmm. uh, that the way, you know, that you should, uh, the introduction of, a, of Huckleberry Finn uh, there should be an introduction that explains, puts into some kind of context to get people to understand, et cetera, and so forth. Explain why this book's important, even though it says it, this is that, and the other thing. Uh, use it as a history lesson. I don't know how you could do that with a, a Dr. Seuss book. Like, let's see if that Dr. Seuss book, and the illustrations are pretty offensive. You know, they, uh, Dr. Seuss evolved as a human being. I mean, he dealt with this. His, some, if you take a look at some of the cartoons he did when he was a cartoonist for uh, the New York newspapers in the 40s, and he was a for the internment of Japanese Americans. Yeah. Some of those cartoons are absolutely offensive. But he apologized. The man himself, he evolved. So how do you deal with an offensive illustration in a children's book with a kid who's just absorbing? You know how those little two-year-old brains or three-year-old brains are just absorbing things? How do you deal with that, Ramon? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I mean... You know, for someone like me, um, I went to a high school that, um, you know, in the 80s was probably, you know, in a, a suburban district was considered, quote unquote, racial diverse, but we had very few African-Americans. So, you know, when we did talk about um, Huckleberry Finn, you know, and, you know, we've seen people raise issues and people going, getting all angry when people want to ban the book. And, you know, it's a usually African-American group who would say that, hey, this book, you know, these, this book is offensive to them. And for someone like me who grew up in a school where there was barely any black people, yeah, it was easy to say, okay, this is, you know, offensive. The word was wrong. But, you know, I don't remember any African-American students saying, like, I don't want to read this book, but they were outnumbered. And I think I've seen some chatter on Twitter, like kids talking about, um, you know, these are African-American individuals. I shouldn't say kids they are just younger journalists than I am. And they said that, you know, the books were offensive to them. And, you know, they said that they had understanding teachers where they didn't even have to, have to read the book if they don't want to. So I just think this is a I think this is a conversation that we have to have. I mean, from someone like me, I enjoy those books. But, you know, I don't know if my I don't know if my nephews and nieces read that book anymore. I mean, children's literature is it's completely different. They read some books that I read when I was younger, but there's like just a whole different genre, a whole different category. There's all these different authors. So they don't even read the same material. And they read things that are, you know, quote unquote, woke now, you know, that we had. So maybe they balance it. But I don't remember if my younger nieces and nephews who are at that age where they re read that. I'm going to ask them if they ever read um, Huckleberry Finn, you know, other Mark Twain books. But I think it's a conversation, but yeah, the two-year-old, the uh, five-year-old kids getting that book, it does seep into your brain. I mean, kids learn about racism early on. Uh, I mean, my first racial slur I heard when I was like in first grade, I mean, the kid learned it somewhere, right? He called me a brownie and I know he wasn't calling me, you know, someone from the Girl Scouts or like a brownie that you eat. I just, I knew it was, he was, you know, talking about my skin color and I remember his name. I remember just him saying that and I knew it was a racial slur. So 
kids pick up on things earlier than we think. So yeah, having a book like that is does affect a child's brains. Yeah, it's a, um, hey, you're absolutely right. It affects a child's brains and absorbed by a child. And uh, yeah, so I, 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 I understand why the Dr. Seuss uh, Foundation uh, pulled the books. Uh, they have to figure out a way if they're going to bring them back, how to bring them back in, a, in a, some kind of appropriate manner. Uh, I don't know. How, that's a that's a challenge. I don't know how you can do that with an illustration uh, in a book for kids. Or but here's the irony. I think I pointed this out to you uh, before the show. Mag, Magowicz is just using this issue to uh, distract attention from the fact that they are nowhere to be found on the stimulus bill or opposing the minimum wage, looking for some issue that they could give to their base to fire them up. Uh, so to, to, uh, demonize Democrats and liberals by saying they're trying to cancel culture and they're urging everybody to buy the book. The book, Dr. Seuss book sales are going through the roof right now. <laughs> and, and it's, and MAGA's buying them. <laughs> and uh, maybe the only book MAGA reads all year. But the point is, is that uh, the, <laughs> the, um, the money is going to the very people that MAGA is supposedly mad at. The, yeah. the people who run the, the foundation, they're the ones that are getting the money. So you're rewarding the people you want to punish, MAGA. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the estate is not going to be, you know, hurting. So I don't know who they think they are. I mean, and I think the books, maybe they can be redone and just take those illustrations, those specific illustrations out. Or like have a discussion with these different racial groups, activists, and ask what can be done. You know, it, it, you know if the language is fine, like can we reprint the reprint this books it's not like we can't have a discussion on this and get rid of the offensive photographs or the pictures illustrations all right let's move on from maga we're not going to solve them uh that the problem with maga in the one show and let's go on to nira tandon uh i have the as you know uh, sort of a general uh bias against uh nah, that, that's so unfair i just have a thing about people who just obsessively uh, tweet. Uh, Nir Tan, of course, the economic advisor that uh, Joe Biden wanted to put in charge of um, what it was his office of budget. Uh, he had to withdraw the nomination because the Senate wasn't going to approve her because she's a history of obsessively tweeting. Really upset beyond anything, Ramana, that you or any of your friends do. I mean, Nir Tannen, uh, she tweeted more than Donald Trump. Believe that is astounding. She tweet. She issued more tweets than Donnie Trump, and she'd be up all night like battling Bernie Sanders supporters. Some some like twenty year old grad student. She'd be trash talking them on Twitter. Anyway, so she wants to be the head of the OMB. Uh, the Republicans are mad at her. Bernie Sanders is mad at her. Although Bernie would have voted for her, uh, and so Biden had to pull uh, the uh, nomination. My attitude about uh, Nira Tandon is that if you're going to tweet. Stand by your tweets. I just don't understand. Twitter heads who tweet and then when they want something that, you know, is in the mainstream, they tweet uh, out of the mainstream and then they want something in the mainstream. They pull down their tweets and apologize for them. I'm not feeling it, Ramana. It'd be like I've said this before. If I started pulling down my columns because I wanted to get appointed by Lori Lightfoot at somebody, you know what I mean? Can you imagine? Oh, let's start burning these columns. I mean, it's like. You got to stand by what you, you're right, in my humble opinion. Your thoughts on this? No, you you bring up a good point. Um, I've actually seen different pieces on it. Um, on on her 
withdrawing. Um, I've seen Asian American groups saying that, you know, this is totally unfair there. And then, you know, I've seen other people pointing out that, you know, some of these Republicans who are complaining about her tweets have more offensive tweets than the tweets she had. So, you know, I think those are good points. But you also raise a good point in terms of standing by what you believe in. You know, she said she apologized. She apologized, quote, for the language and past language unquote, that she used. And, you know, if you feel that strongly about something and you're willing to put it out there, frankly, just between you and me, I do like Twitter, but there are some people who like, they just live on Twitter all the time. I mean, they tell you everything that they're doing. You know, sometimes I feel like they don't have friends because they'll be like, Hey, does anybody want to, you know, this is before when we had, uh, you know, movies, they'd be like, Hey, does anybody want to go catch like, you know, the new star Wars movie with me? And I'm like, God, you have like a zillion followers and you have no friends that you can find to take you to watch a movie. So some people, some of these people, and they're usually younger than me, they live their lives on Twitter. Now, Nira Tandon, I think she's older than me. And I kind of think like, why would you, I mean, doesn't your family stop you? I mean, Mick, my husband, when he sees, when he's talking to me about something that I'm not that interested in, I'm like texting my friends or my family and, you know, we're joking about something I'm interested in. And he's like, Hey, get off the phone. Are you listening to me? And he's like, what did I just say? So, you know, I, I know that's a bad habit. So, and I don't do it that much, but I do go on my phone and I'm texting my friends. I mean, you were texting me about um, a train to Busan earlier this week, and he was talking to me about Peter, Paul and Mary. So it was kind of like a welcome relief. <laughs> I was, I was I was texting you back and forth while I was getting a, you know, a history, crash course history on Peter, Paul, and Mary. So I have to tell you, so that happens. So, but I'm just saying, like, sometimes I get distracted by texts and I just can't imagine like having a family and just tweeting all day. Like I, you know, I would just, just go berserk. So I, 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 I think that if you do feel strongly, like I, I feel strongly behind all the tweets I tweet. And if someone if someone said that, oh, you know, you should take this tweet down, I, I don't think I would. But I, so I, I do think you raised a good point. Um, you know, I don't know that much about Nira Tan. I know her, pol- you know, I know her politics. I don't know that I know that um, she kind of butt heads with Bernie Sanders and she worked for Hillary Clinton for a long time. Right. And the Obama administration. So I don't know. I looked at some of the tweets. Yeah, it's I don't know. I didn't find any of them like super offensive. So just just say like, hey, I'm fine. I'm with you. I didn't find and listen, I, I love Bernie Sanders. So, but, you know, I give as good as I get. If I'm going to rip mainstream Dems, I got to expect the mainstream Dems are going to come after me. And they do all the time. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, I didn't hold it against her that she was fighting the Bernie, even my beloved Bernie Sanders supporters. Um, and I totally agreed with what she said about Ted Cruz. I think yeah. she said vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz, something like that. Why are you why are you apologizing for that? I mean, yeah. Yeah, most Republicans agree with you. Republicans, this is part two. Republicans are fraud. This is Ben speaking, not uh, Romana. They are such frauds. They're the Donald Trump is the biggest violator of standards on Twitter in the world. They cry like little babies when Twitter finally kicked them off, and now they're offended. New York attended insulted Ted Cruz. He said he has no heart. Well, you don't think he has it. Where is the heart? Show me the heart, Ted Cruz. <laughs> I think you're so totally right. And I mean, someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, she never really apologized. Did she? Her apology was like a non-apology. So it's like, okay, if the Republicans say like worse things and they don't apologize, why do you have to apologize? I think I think that would be that would have been better. And maybe Nira Tandon didn't think that she would have to withdraw. She didn't think the pressure would be that. And so she, 
or maybe she did know that and she decided to apologize. But I think if you feel that strongly and you're that like on Twitter, yeah, don't apologize. I mean, the other side doesn't have to apologize. So I don't think you need to either. Unless that's something like, you know, horribly offensive, you yeah. know, but, but, you know, the Republicans are saying things 10 times worse and no, nobody's apologizing for any of that. Absolutely. What a bunch of frauds. All right. Now let's move on to uh, subject item number three. Uh, I'm up in arms about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and I, I must start the, preface this by saying, as a Bernie guy, I always thought Andrew Cuomo sucked. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. He's like a Rom, New York's version of Rom. He's real arrogant. He's real nasty. He, he just thinks he knows everything, and he's finally, it's like biting him back. I mean, well, I won't even talk about what he did in terms of covering up COVID deaths uh, in nursing homes, et cetera. But I'm just talking about the reports of his utter sleaziness uh, and sexual harassment of women. So the question I have for you is Andrew Cuomo, the sleaziest politician in America, Romano Zango. He's or at this moment, he's probably the sleaziest politician that we know of. But, you know, this kind of behavior is probably very pervasive among many men and many politicians. I mean, I, when I heard about it, I mean, I shouldn't say that I wasn't surprised, but it's, it, of course, like, it, you know, women get, you know, taken aback just hearing some of this stuff. But I feel like people don't take sexual harassment seriously until they're, until these certain individuals are called out. Otherwise, like people laugh. And I've always said that if men were, you know, if like you were in your 20s or 30s and there was like women who were in their 60s, like grabbing at you or making comments about your fate, you know, your your physical appearance, I think men would take it a lot seriously if this happened to them. But this stuff doesn't I mean, it's not usual for, you know, men to get accosted by older women the way older men accost younger women. And this brings me back to, you know, your boy, Woody Allen, where I was going to say, I actually tweeted about uh, Woody Allen this week. I just couldn't take it. I just, I, my tweet was like, not to brag, but I thought Woody Allen was creepy and revolting way before when everybody else thought he was cool. Because I saw the second episode of the Woody Allen um, documentary. And there's this one, one great part of the documentary where they're laying out all these movies where Woody Allen shows like him or another old man with these young women and these like film critics were basically saying, you know, we all thought these movies were great, but what he was doing was normalizing these, the way older men behaved, you know, predatory behavior. And for years, like I've been like told that I was like crazy because I don't like Woody Allen movies. I mean, I've watched Woody Allen movies, but just not the ones with him in it because he would creep me out. I mean, yeah. That was just kind of creepy. And they, I never watched Manhattan. Everybody, especially men tell me how, what a great movie it is. But anyway, so I'm like watching the clip and this documentary and Muriel Hemingway, she's only 16 years old in the movie and he's 42. And the movie makes it seem like she's the predator. I mean, it's just the way the normalization of this behavior of older men towards younger women has been out there for a long time and it's been accepted and it's been seen as cute and charming. So this sort of stuff happens to, I mean, I'm sure if you talk to any woman in your life, this sort of stuff has happened to them with a man in a position of power. And so I don't know, Andrew Cuomo at this point, you know, everybody obviously is like grossed out by it, but I bet there's a lot of men who behave like this and, you know, I think, I don't know how, like, people 
don't call it out when it happens. But I think it's because women aren't sure. Like, you know, these are two of the, I think two of his accusers are his former aides, right? Yeah. Because, you know, one of them, he kissed one of them. And he said he, you know, he's always been kissing people and hugging them. That's what his dad did. And he's learning now that that behavior isn't accepted anymore. But... (laughs) Put Cross's um, dad under the bus. You know what I'm saying? Damn. Blame it on dad. Dear old dad dad, you know. So yeah, so I don't know. I I, I think I think you raise a good point. It probably is right now, but easiest politician that we know of right now. But I think I think that this behavior is probably more pervasive than you know we know of. And there's probably a lot of politicians that everybody thinks is like wonderful and you know, nobody talks about it anymore because that guy's gone, long gone. And then, you know, years later, people say stuff. But, you know, it's it's good to call people out if these things did, ex- you know, look into allegations because these are these these allegations should be taken seriously. Of course, these are all allegations against him right now, but they should be taken seriously. Uh, I will say this. Uh, Andrew Cuomo will not be the sleaziest politician in America so long as Donald Trump is on the yeah. scene, in my humble opinion. Uh, Donald Trump always remain one. And let me just address the Woody Allen issue, which I must <laughs> uh, confront. You are so right. When you were, uh, that was a great riff, and I was cheering you. I had the sound down, but I was cheering you. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Manhattan is one of the most disgusting movies ever. Uh, and I will now make a confession. Uh, I thought it was disgusting when I saw it. It really unnerved me. And I was young. I mean, even for me, I was young. I was, when Manhattan came out, I was under tw- 22 or something like that. I mean, I'm really young. Uh, and it may even creeped me out. Uh, but then I kept giving him a second chance. It's much like me and Michael Jackson. Like, so he did another movie that I really liked, like Manhattan Murder Mystery or um, Crimes and Misdemeanors or Small Time Crooks, which I really, oh, I'll give him one more chance. But I'm through with him. Ramada, through with him. You're, you were, with that riff you did was so good, was so true. Uh, all those movies were the older men. And then when he became even too ancient, he put like younger substitutes of him. And I have younger in quotes like Larry David, Larry David, who would be like a younger version of Woody Allen would be like any, what, what's old boy's name? Will Ferrell. They put Will Ferrell in a movie. You know what I'm saying? So you're right. You're absolutely right. I stand accused and guilty as charged. And I had to address this with Michael Jackson because I had to confess how much I love this song. Never can say goodbye. I don't know if that song's before your time, if you know what it is, but it's a Michael Jackson song. It's a Jackson five. Song. So I deal with this. I struggle with this. This is a confession moment for me. Uh, <laughs> he threw it right back at me and I deserved it. All right. Uh, before we go to uh, Romano's recommendations, I have to ask you this. This popped up into my head when we were chatting before the show, the way in which Chicago and just find this like, really hard to think defend the stupid things that Chicagoans do by saying other people do it. We had this conversation. I don't want to say what we were talking about because this is going to be a topic uh, that Romana writes about and I don't want to scoop her story and everything. So we're going to hold off on discussing the specifics of, of it. But uh, in telling me what was going down, you told me that somebody's response to this story you're writing about is, well, that happens all the time. I just, I can't take that as a justification from Chicagoans. Like what, how is it, you know what I'm saying? To justify something bad that you're doing by saying other people do it. How is that a justification? Please explain this to me, Ramona. Go ahead. Well, this person was telling me in terms of like the way 
certain things are written, the way legislation is written, the way it gets rewritten. And my response was, well, no doubt. And this person said that, by the way, while they heard me discussing this issue with you, they said I was voting. (laughs) (laughs) And and I wasn't, and I wasn't. He said that I was part of the quote. No, I mean, it's a good point. Um, I thought you were going to talk about how Chicagoans, um, our famous people, are loved outside of Chicago. Yes. Let's talk about that, too. Go ahead. (laughs) But you're right. You're right. I mean, that shouldn't be an excuse just because, like, it's kind of like, you know, the sexual harassment we're talking about. Like, oh, yeah, old men, like, you know, grab women's butts all the time. So we're like men in general. So, like, whatever. And that was like that was the attitude. Right. Boys will be boys. So that doesn't mean that we don't call it out we should call it out when it comes to politics and everything else but yeah the chicago thing i do think is true i do think that there are politicians and personalities that everybody like outside of chicago um is all enamored with and then everybody in chicago is like oh that person we don't like them and that's true with politicians i was telling you like on a local like on a very macro or micro level like even within my community the muslim community like there was like maybe one or two people that we like, you know, something happened to them, they became stars, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, like everybody and we knew what they were like inside Chicago. And so they would be like, you know, their Facebook posts would be filled with people like bragging about them and everybody else in Chicago would be like, oh, my God, this person's so annoying. And, you know, and then eventually, like every all their friend, all this person's friends, Facebook friends in Chicago, they just like couldn't stand the like posturing. And they're just like, you know, they left and the only people gushing about this person are people like from out of town. So, so yeah, I, I do think that's true. Like with our politicians, um, we've probably seen it with um, several of our politicians, like people outside of Chicago, like them more than people in Chicago. And, you know, I know you're talking about, we're talking about Andrew Cuomo, but I just posted an AP story right before I started um, this podcast where, you know, the headline was uh, now, Amer- now the rest of America knows what New Yorkers already knew, but you're pointing out a, a good thing yeah. about it. All these New Yorkers. What frauds? frauds. Yeah. Come on. I'm going to, I have to say that because you pointed that, you said that to me and Andrew Cuomo ran for reelection in the democratic primary in 2018 against Cynthia Nixon, who's uh, the lefty candidate. I would have voted for her in a heartbeat. And I think he got over 60% of the vote. I can't remember the exact percentage, but he, he trounced her. And then he was like a really bad sport, typical Andrew Cuomo pounding his chest. Like I'm the man. Uh. And uh, so New Yorkers, don't act like you knew about Andrew. You kept electing him. In fact, he's thinking about running. People are saying step down. He hasn't ruled out running for re-election. So those dummies in New York will probably re-elect him. So don't act like you're that so smart New Yorkers uh, about Andrew Cuomo. That's that was my reaction, Romano, when um, uh, I saw that. But yeah, but you're right. Like like uh, Lori Lightfoot is so popular with. Um, I, uh, Trevor Noah and Steve Colbert, you know, they, they yeah. <laughs> like, lefties in Chicago. Like, Whoa. I think it's true. And it's probably true in other cities too. Like, you know, people probably outside, you know, we probably look at other figures and are like, Oh wow. I mean, everybody was gushing about Andrew Cuomo during the pandemic, yeah. but people were doing that in Chicago with Lori Lightfoot and Pritzker too. They're just like, wow. And I, and my whole attitude is I'm not, I'm not taking, you know, anything away from them, but it's kind of annoying to watch people gush over people because they're doing what the politicians 
when they're doing their jobs. I just think that's our bar has gotten so low that everybody gets excited when somebody does the right thing and, or what the politician is supposed to do, like even the bare minimum. I mean, even with Trump, like all of a sudden after the Capitol riots, there's a couple of Republicans saying, oh, this is terrible. Um, where were you four years ago? And then everybody's like act, applauding them and acting like they deserve a medal. I'm sorry. I don't think people like that deserve a medal. Yeah, I, uh, you raise a very good point. We'll probably be talking about this in future episodes because uh, Trump was so, and this is me speaking for myself, Trump was so offensive and uh, for those four years on so many levels. Uh, and he was so horrifically bad at meeting the country's needs on so many levels that like, I felt when anybody defied Trump, I would want to cheer him. When anybody showed a different side of what a politician could do or be behave, I would want to applaud him. And I, you're right. It's, it was part of it was a reaction uh, to Donald no, Trump. But that's different than the people who are standing by him all these years. Oh, yeah. Well, they're just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like the people who stood out and loud. Um, I'm talking about the people who just stood there and didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden they grow spine after the, you know, the Capitol riots on January 6th. They're like, whoa, OK, now we're, you know, at, you know, all the racism, all the sexism, um, you know, the treatment of reporters, um, just just his ineffectiveness. That was fine. But. You know, it took that to, you know, it took the, you know, actual violence that could have harmed them to, you know, finally stop and, you know, realize. And I don't think I don't think people like that deserve a medal or recognition. I agree with you there. All right. Let's move on to uh, Romana's recommendations. I think you should take a victory walk. Uh, last week, you gave two recommendations and it was Romana weekend at the Jarofsky household. My wife and I watched both on separate nights uh, and uh, Minari. I just I couldn't get over what a great movie that is. Uh, it is an American movie, okay, made by an American. All right, uh, he's a Korean American, but he's an American. Why the Golden Globes put it in the category of foreign movies? I do not know. I understand that some of the movie, some of the dialogue is in Korean because it's a story about Korean immigrants. I understand that, but a lot of the dialogue is in English. Uh, Great, great movie. Can't thank you enough for recommending. I urge everybody to check it out. And the other one is the vampire movie from 2016, which I've been recommending to everybody, Train to Busan. And what I've discovered, Ramon, is that the world's divided into people who like uh, zombie movies. I said vampire, I meant zombie. Like yeah. zombie movies and people who don't. And there's a lot of people out there who don't like zombie movies, which kind of surprised me. I actually don't, and this is, the, I mean, I have a connection between Minari and the zombie movies, but I actually uh, grew up not really liking zombie movies. And then, you know, my, my younger sister started watching The Walking Dead a few years ago. And she goes, oh, you got to watch The Walking Dead. And we were a couple of years out. It already started. And then I started watching it. And then I started liking, the show is really good. So the lead in Minari, Stephen Wen, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, he was, he was in the walking dead and that's what got him famous. And there was like, when he was, his, his character was killed off, but he was one of this care. He, his character was Glenn and everybody loved Glenn. And there was, um, the show where he was killed off and no one saw it coming. And it was, it was like, I know it's really funny because I can tell you, I was watching it. Mick doesn't watch a lot of shows with me. He was sitting there on, uh, they watch, you know, eating dinner. And I was like, in it in like a couple feet away. And I'm like, oh, I was like, you know, totally like, you know, freaked out. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, they killed Glenn. And then he's like, what? 
And so he's, he, he, because of his uh, character in The Walking Dead, Glenn. Um, and I, I told you, and then, you know, I know you have one of the guests, Samina Mustafa, on your show. Like, she's one of your frequent guests. A couple of years ago, she was on this um, Asian-American um, group um, that does a lot of work for, you know, advancing. It's called, a, in, I think, I, I don't want to mispronounce it, but it's basically an Asian, a group, an, a bunch of Asian-American activists pushing for, like, you know, Asian-American legislation and just a lot of charity work. And so he was going to come to this event, and Samina Mustafa was trying to get people to come, and I'm like, what? Stephen Wen's going to be there? And I said, I'm going to come. Can I get a selfie with him? And she was all like, yeah, totally. So I remember going, and then the poor guy got sick or something happened, and he sent a video message. And this is like three, four years ago. I was so bummed. So they said that he was going to try to get him to come to another event. But I think his popularity since then has really risen. He's like in a lot of movies and, you know, I'm glad. So the zombie show is what got Stephen Wen popular. So I thought Train to Busan, I'm not even a huge zombie fan, but I think there's a lot of deeper meanings in, in the, in the movie. I don't know, Dennis, if you watched it, it's really good. You don't even have to like zombies to watch it. And I, I just thought it was really good. It was creative. Um, and it was kind of fast paced and it was really kind of like it, it wasn't it wasn't like super scary, but it did make me scared a lot. And it, it probably made me cry more than uh, your other your favorite film, Movies Loves or whatever it was called, Ben. Which one? The, the, your, your, which, your, which? Sylvie, Sylvie's Love. Oh, I love Sylvie's Love. Don't don't trash Sylvie's Love. Uh, I just couldn't hear you. Yeah, Sylvie's Love. Yeah. Uh, that and the Sophia Lauren movie, probably two of my favorite movies of the year. Um yeah, I trained to Busan again. Uh, that now that movie is uh, in Korean, so you have to watch it with English subtitles. And I know that turns off a lot of a lot of people. I know you just don't want to watch subtitles. I don't get it, but whatever. Um, and uh, but I if if you don't turned off by subtitles, or just give it a shot, folks. It is. I don't get how you could be turned off by subtitles. I told my little nephew who was born in 2009, I said, he loves scary movies. So I go, I think you really like this movie. And I asked him, I go, do you mind reading subtitles? And he said, no. So if a little boy can do it, you know. It's just you practice, you'll get it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's fine. And then and you raised a good a point about Minari. I mean, I was born in the United States. I grew up speaking another language at home. I talked to my parents in Urdu like 99.9% of the time, that's part of the experience of a lot of Americans not speaking English all the time. And so uh, I just that people don't think that that's part of the American experience. And that's part of the problem. And that's something that the Trumpsters would say, you know, like Minari should be put in, you know, the foreign language ca category. And as, as you know, the Golden Globes has no has had never a member on the, you know, the Hollywood, Hollywood Press Association, whatever the group of members are that vote on this, they never had a black member. So that was the biggest thing in the Golden Globes when I, which I watched, I had it, I recorded it and I fast forward a lot, but it was, it was interesting to say the least. All right. Uh, so, uh, so in the aftermath of such a triumphant week, last week, you threw your recommendations. We'll close with your recommendations for this week. Now, no pressure to follow up on last week's great uh, well, recommendations. I have to admit, I have good taste. I do, I do lead you down a good path and get you to watch good things. But um, yeah, I think if you like, like I said last week, I'm going to mention it again um, because I had like a zillion recommendations last week. Um, if you're looking for something lighthearted, um, Wayne, it's on Amazon Prime. 
it's like a coming of age teenage show, but you might have objections to it because the lead character in it, he was in Sing Street and he's Irish American and he plays a new, he plays a, bo- he plays a Boston guy with a strong Boston accent. You might get mad at that since he's Irish and not, you know, not, not from Boston, um, but it's a good show. But, you know, I think this week, a lot of people are going to be watching tonight or this weekend coming to America, the sequel to, you know, the original coming to America, this coming to America is number two. Um, this is Eddie Murphy and his family uh, 30 years later. I think when did that, when did the original come out in the eighties? I was a kid when I saw it. So I'm trying to remember the original coming to makes- was in the eighties, right? Yeah, you know, it's all a blur to me. 80s, 90s. Yeah, it was uh, in the 80s. I'm looking for the date now. It yeah, was. It was. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to watch that. And I still I still want to watch I Care A Lot. I, I heard a lot of good things about that. Um, the actress actually won a Golden Globe for her performance in that. Who's And she is British. Sorry. She's a British actor. Uh, yeah, I Care A Lot got a, a recommendation from our legal affairs expert, Jim Coogan. Uh, it, it movies it has to deal with people who exploit yeah. uh, senior citizens, and I don't want to give too much of it away. And he said it was, uh, it's it's definitely is, worth watching. Lead is British, so you'll be mad about that. Uh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my inner Donald Trump. <laughs> 1988, by the way. Yeah. Wow. That makes I, damn. I saw it when it came out. Uh, that's how old I am. I saw it when it came out. I saw it at the movie theaters. All right. So uh, I will uh, dutifully watch Wayne. I will take your advice. I will probably watch Coming to America too, since I like the first one so much. I have to finish watching WandaVision. My wife really likes it, so I'm Do just like, sort of. you like it? Because I'm hearing a lot of buzz about it. I, I, I'm getting into it. You know, it takes a while for me to get into it. I, I will, I probably will not like it as, I don't know. It's getting, wait, as soon as I said, I've only watched half of it. It's getting better as time goes on, but my wife really likes it. And fair is fair. Ramon, I've made her watch so many shows that I want to watch. So I'm sort of obligated to uh, Good. see it through. And, uh, but uh, so that's, but uh, thank you again. I urge everybody trained to Busan is it, it, it works as like, as, as a zombie movie, uh, it works as like an action flick where you jump because things like, yeah. that shock you. But it's also a parable about greed and selfishness and, uh, you know, just corporate greed. Yeah. Uh, it just works on so many different levels. So it was a blast to watch it. Uh, so, all right, Ramana, stay wait, safe. Wait a minute. Sound. Wait a minute. Hold on. Ramana, do you have time to do at least one Chicago trivia question? Oh. Yes. Give it to let's. But yeah, go ahead. Let's go. All right. So, Ramana, obviously you work with the Sun-Times. So have you seen this at all? No. Perfect. OK, great. All right. Uh, ben did horrible, by the way. So just know that we did this yesterday for Ben. All right. I went through a few of these questions here. Chicago trivia question. You guys can answer these questions yourself at Chicago Sun Times. Satchel Price, you're the man. Thank you. All right. Your question, Romana. Lincoln Park Zoo opened after being gifted a pair of what animal from New York City? You have options. Lions, elks, pumas, swans. Or monkeys? Monkeys. You're going monkeys? Or lions. Monkeys or lions. Which which <laughs> one? Which one? It's a multiple. That's like the ACT. Well, it's either A or B. No, you got to pick one or the other. Lions. I'm going to go with lions. You're going with lions? All right. Let me uh, channel my inner Regis Philbin here. Is that your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> final answer. You feel good about that? Lions. Lions. That's what we're going with. Okay. Well. The answer 
Let's see. Nope, that's wrong. Oh. Swans. Oh. Central Park's Board of Commissioners gifted the zoo a pair of swans in 1868. Bradley Ben was born. Armada, I said lions too. Okay, I said lions. Lions and zoo. And, and, and I have to tell you, Lincoln Park Zoo is the first place I ever took a field trip when I was in kindergarten. Now, this one here, we have to ask you this real quick. I want to see if you can get it. Ben, once again, did not. Uh, but the question to you is, I think you can do this, Romana. How many lines does the famous Chicago L train system have? Oh, okay. Wait. There's a green, yellow, red, blue. I think five. Is that your final answer? Five. Oh, wait, there's an orange too. Six. Six. Is that your final answer? Six. Yes. Are you sure about that answer? You feel good about that answer? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know. All right. She says six. Let me put in six here. I already know the answer, but let me just play along. Hold on. Six. All right. Yeah. Almost. There's actually eight. There are eight lines. <laughs> it was like it was going to be more than that or six. I forgot the pink line too, okay. you know, and the, and then I don't really count the uh, what is it, the yellow line, the one that goes out to a Skokie. It's like yeah. it's not really Chicago. I mean, it starts at Howard Street. But it's a t- <laughs> tough question. <laughs> I tell you what, that sometimes they threw some curveball. So I don't feel so bad, Ramona. Not only did we get the same answers wrong, we got the same wrong answers. Oh. I said. <laughs> I said five, and then I said, wait a minute, six. I did the same thing. Great minds think alike. All right, we'll let, we'll let you off the hook. Well, no more questions. Uh, wait, give her the one that I got right. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, let one. me, like I study every show. Let me, uh, <laughs> which one? I don't know which one you got right. Hold on a I second. I got the one right about uh, Wrigley Field. Oh, uh, all right. Here oh, we answer? What's oh, that? no, uh, I thought he was telling me the answer, so. Oh, no. No. Romana, what was the original name of Wrigley Field? Addison Field. Cubs Park. Wiegman Park. It's always been Wrigley Field. I think it's always been Wrigley Field. All right. Ben did better than you because it's Wiegman Park. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Well, it was always (laughs) Wrigley Field since I was a kid, so I just assumed all right. You know what? Let's spare her any more questions. <laughs> I did terrible on this thing, too. And uh, so let's just blame the test. Let's say the test is, uh, is is biased. Yes. Come on, sometimes. Get a test, a better test. All right, Romana, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Take care, guys. All right. That's the great Romana Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, our guest every Friday. D, you got any updates for us before we head out that door? Great job from a mom. Oh, wait. Ah, damn it. Forgot to give her my Rick. <laughs> I was going to recommend over the weekend she watch uh, those series of Cuomo videos uh, from last year. I mean, yeah. they want an Emmy. Jeez, nobody will be watching those anymore. Oh, that Emmy. Hey, the Emmys want that Emmy back, Cuomo. Give that Emmy back. Yeah, maybe next week. Maybe next week. All right, everybody. Let's do the back half here. First, oh, wait, hold on. Yeah. Really? Okay. Ben, the, the newsroom's flagging me down. Oh. Yeah, I know. Oh, we haven't heard from the newsroom. in a while. I know we haven't. I hope they're okay. I haven't really checked on them. All right. <laughs> well, uh, we got some breaking news. Let me uh, run oh. to the newsroom real quick. Listeners, hang tight. Ben, hang tight. We got a news story here. One second. Hang tight. Hey, 
Give me the story! What? Yeah, who cares? Thank you. <laughs> Talking about like their favorite zombie movies? Who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. Curious what they like. Go ahead, D. It's a good story. I'm not curious at all. Good story here. Breaking news. Oh. <laughs> the following comes from the damn toughest trivia question askers on the planet, the Chicago Sun-Times. Very, very hard stuff. All right. We do have breaking news here. Oh, what does this say? Hold on. The newsroom. Come on. The printer. All right. We need a new printer in the newsroom. The ink's gone low. All right, here we go. I can I think I can read this. The following comes to the Chicago Sun-Times and John Seidel. Political operative Roberto Caldero pleads not guilty to charges involving ex-alderman Danny Solis. Pet, uh, political operative Roberto Cal, uh, Caldero pleaded not guilty. Prosecutors last week revealed a 20-page grand jury indictment against Caldero. In doing so, they further pulled back the curtain of the undercover work of Solis, who left the city council after the Chicago Sun-Times in January 2019 revealed he'd been cooperating for years with the feds. The new indictment alleged that Caldero offered Solis as much as $20,000 in campaign contributions to help an Ohio company, because we got to help out Ohio, land a $1 billion <laughs> custodial contract with the Chicago Public Schools, as wow. well as $50,000 in campaign contributions to help secure an honorary street designation and park renaming for members uh, of the family. Caldero also allegedly bribed a high-ranking CPS official, Pedro Soto, with job offers, champagne, and admission to an annual museum benefit. Wow. Well, these are allegations, of course, so um, innocent to proven otherwise. I knew Caldero way, 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 way a long time ago, D, in the 80s when I first moved to town. He was uh, a young political uh, activist, operative. Uh, I remember him working on uh, Louis Gutierrez's early campaigns in the 80s. Uh, he was always one of these guys who was telling me how the thing, how the system really worked. This is how it really works, okay? <laughs> Everybody's always, this is how it really works. So I haven't seen him in years. But uh, let me just uh, point on the one thing. The Ohio company gets the custodial contract. Oh, that's your privatization deals that you love so much, liberals, Dems. Huh? That's, oh, privatized. Real legitimate good jobs that go to Chicagoans who have to live here. Get a pension. Get good health benefits. Make a good living. Live in a neighborhood and take the money that we pay them to do a decent job and invest it in a neighborhood. Oh, suddenly... We don't want that anymore. That was Mayor Rahm's big idea. We don't want that anymore. Instead, we want to farm out most of the money to the bosses who own the company, hire people for less. That was considered, quote, unquote, reform. So now all these scandals from these privatization deals, and you still get these good government types trying to tell you, convince you that it was a good idea to fire Chicagoans and give the money to somebody from Ohio. Heck of a job, Dems. Heck of a job you've done running this city with your privatization deals. But you're outraged now. The same people who are endorsing the privatization deals were, were outraged by this culture of political corruption in Chicago. I don't know how it happens. Very outraged. That's why people leave Chicago. Well, you weren't outraged when they were doling out the contracts. Then you were applauding it. We think it's a good idea to cut costs 
to eliminate unnecessary expenses in our city and school budget by getting people to do the work for less. It's a great idea. Well, of course, we don't believe in it for ourselves, but we believe in it for custodians. That's that's your the brains of corporate Chicago, as articulated by the editorial boards in this city. When are you going to learn, Chicago? Never. You're never going to learn. Never going to learn. Hey, I'm going to Office Depot this weekend to get in. Give me your money. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you what, Ulan. The newsroom. They know it's a scam, D. Oh, yeah. They know it's a scam. <laughs> they know sure. it's a scam. Yeah, they're the smartest guys in the city of Chicago, I tell you. All right, we got enough money for printer ink. I'll go this weekend to Office Depot. All right, Uh, let's uh, do uh, a little CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky. Yes, it's a very fictional segment that we're doing today on the program. By the Uh, way, my answers have... Totally. You know, have you noticed how my answers are much different than Janis Jackson's answers? Uh, yeah, just, big time. Uh, one sounds less hippie-ish. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well put. All right. Uh, wait, hold on. Do we have more breaking news here? Oh. Wait, hold on. Oh. Well, I got to read this here. Oh, okay, well, we'll save this for next week. We will save this Ooh, news for next wow, week. What could that be? Yeah, what the hell? Let's do it. Breaking news. Oh, okay. (laughs) The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran, the woe man, Spielman. The headline reads, Lightfoot accused of, quote, going her own way on issues pivotal to progressive voters. Mayor Lightfoot was accused Friday of going her own way or, quote, putting up roadblocks on four issues pivotal to progressive voters civilian police review, search warrant reform, police spending, and an elected school board. Alderwoman Maria Haddon, been of what ward? 49th. What a dork. Is the prime mover behind a more sweeping search warrant reform ordinance embraced by Anjanette Young, the innocent woman forced to stand naked, crying and pleading, while an all-male team of Chicago police officers raided the wrong home. On Friday, Haddon vowed to, quote, forge ahead with her own ordinance, arguing that it is stronger in 17 different ways than the reforms outlined by executive order by Lightfoot and police superintendent David Brown. Here's the quote from Haddon, quote, we need to come up with our own solutions. We need to do it with the community. We need to win back the trust of all Chicago government has lost over many decades. We're working through a legislative process. This is not leaving the accountability or the value or the perception of a policy change up to one person. Ben, your thoughts. You're on mute. Let's hit that. Let's unmute then, Mike. Uh, yes. I put it on mute because I had the hiccups. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought that there was the breaking news. Ben is the bit. Hiccups. Oh, doing that imitation of the hiccups may, may bring it back. Oh, God. Oh, not, a good, not a good idea. But I'm with you, uh, Maria Haddon. Maria Haddon, all our women of the 49th Ward, who's kind of been going along a little bit. You know, uh, you, you ever notice this, Steve, like within the, the uh, progressive, well, Everybody's a progressive now, so you can't really call them progressive. But like within the uh, democratic socialist realm of the city council, there are those who like openly battle Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and she can't stand. She obviously cannot stand them. And then there's the good uh, ones, you know, in quotes, like who occasionally vote with her. And and Lori Lightfoot's attitude is, why can't you all be like Maria Haddon? Why can't you rest of you, Byron Cisha Lopez, be like Andre Vasquez? 
How come you, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, listen to Carlos Ramirez Rosa and you don't do like Sue Zelowski Garza? You know, it's like they got the favorites and the, it's like I, I had to deal with this all the time when I was working uh, with McDumkey. Everyone liked McDumkey. Why can't you be look more more like McDumkey, Ben? So I can relate. Now Maria Haddon. I don't know. You keep this up, Maria Haddon, in the 49th Ward. Lori Life will be yelling at you. I'm not going to swear because this is the new, uh, resolution I had. No more swearing on the Ben Jarofsky show. We discussed this at the outset. We're going to close the show that we begin. But you keep this up, Maria Haddon. You keep speaking out against the mayor's proposals. You keep standing up for what you believe in and what most of Chicago activists believe in. Then she's going to tell you to go beep yourself. <laughs> I appreciate, I, that, I appreciate you editing yourself. A lot yeah. of cursing going on on the Ben Jarofsky show these days. Boy, this week we yeah. had that wise guy. My God. <laughs> so MF this, MF that. <laughs> I have seen this coming for a long time on police issues. Uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, campaigned as a quote unquote reformer on police issues and is hesitant to, uh, well, she hasn't really had an advanced her full uh, slate of proposals yet. Uh, so she's resisting efforts to have had civilian oversight or the proposals that are out there. So Maria Haddon, get used to it. You keep this up. And she's going to be treating you like your name was Byron Sisho Lopez. Maria, you're more than welcome to come on the Ben Jarofsky show to talk about whatever you want to talk about. All right. We had Matt Martin come on the show. We've had Ray Lopez come on the show. You were invited as well, obviously. She's right, Ben? On. Maria Haddon's been on well, the I show. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. But now that she's got, you know, this whole yeah. thing going on. Now hey, she's stepping up. You're right. Yeah. She's in JT country. If you need an outlet, right? the Ben Jarofsky show is always here. I'm in my apartment. Ben's in his attic. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a porta potty update if you're lucky when you come on. <laughs> Only if you're lucky. You'd be so lucky. All right. So I guess we're not doing this uh, 13 questions thing. We got, we're got. we going to roll on here. Ben, you can take you know, the tie and jacket off. You're no longer the CPS CEO. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what do you say we do one thing here we did get a Bulls trivia question from Jim All right. so Go we'll ahead. end it out with some Bulls trivia then we'll call it a week uh, All right. you you too can call the Ben Jarofsky show it's true 708-658-4788 number again 708-658-4788 call the Ben Jarofsky show you can give us a trivia question like Jim uh, you can just Go on the it's going a riff, riff about something, rant about something. That's fine. You can prank, call us, do whatever you want. 708-658-4788. And there is a good chance that we will play your voicemail on the program, like we're about to do with our good friend Jim. Jim gives us Bulls trivia questions from time to time, and it's time for his latest installment of Bulls Trivia. Jimbo Jambo. Take it away, sir. Hey Ben. Hey Dennis. This is Jim calling uh at a uh Bulls trivia question for Ben. Since it's All-Star weekend, I'll uh, keep it to that subject. The NBA All-Star game is this uh, coming Sunday. So my question for Ben is, um, how many times has the NBA All-Star game been held in Chicago, the home of the Bulls? And uh, I will uh, email the uh, answer to Dennis. Okay, guys, have a great day. Jim, you're awesome. And he did email me the answer. Ben Jarofsky, how many All-Star games have been in the city of Chicago? NBA All-Star. Three. 
three. One, two, three. 1973. Dave Cowens, Nate Archibald. I think Dave Cowens won the MVP that year. Great All-Star game, 1973. 1988, Dennis's favorite All-Star game, Michael Jeffrey Jordan true. at age 25. Won the slam dunk contest, and they said it was uh, the crowd. It was uh, the judges were motivated by the crowd, and that Dominique Wilkins should have won it. I still say MJ deserved to win it. And then, of course, last year, uh, right before the pandemic hit, twenty twenty, they didn't have one bull. I was outraged, if you recall, the Zach attack. Zach Levine should have been on that roster but they left him out. So three times, three is my answer, Dennis. You're going with three, okay. Is that your final answer, Ben? Yes. You feel confident about that answer? Three. Yes. Not two, not four, not five, not six, but three. Three. He says three. Ladies and gentlemen. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! (laughs) It was three. 1973, 1988, and of course the most recent, 2020. Come on, man. I know my Bulls trivia. I, I watched all three of those games. 1973, Dave Collins and Nate Archibald, man. Ah, the glory days of the early 70s. Ah, Harold. <laughs> 1973. That was like pre-Dennis time. Pre-Dennis, Pre-Dennis time. I think. I was born in 83. Uh, Mick Dumkey watched that. Yeah, so it was pre-Dennis time. Mick Dumkey uh, watched the uh, 73 All-Star game, and I believe his reaction was, cuckoo caca. That's how old he was. He wasn't really speaking in full sentences, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right, that's he, our show. He's been writing today. Chicago Reader right. columns for 40 years, guys. Go get his latest, greatest hits. Uh, it's a book from Ben Jarofsky. Get it now, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. No one can see the book, Ben. I know you're pointing to it. Uh, forward slash Jarofsky. Go check it out. Also, become a Ben head, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky to find out how you can help this program Uh keep delivering this program to you chicagoreader.com so much more check out this weekend's benny j bonus interviews chicagoreader.com wherever else you download podcasts okay we're done i want to thank romano saying for the excellent job she did and of course the man myth the legend the pride of joy of Alton, illinois without whom the show is possible the man that nate archibald dave collins dominique wilkins and michael jeffrey jordan all fondly call white lightning give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash have a great weekend everybody Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute. This is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Yay for our teacher! Yay for our teachers!
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.